Well, my friends, welcome once again to the Global Gale podcast for the 70 million Irish people around the world. Not all of them are listening yet, but we'll get there in the end. My name is Philip O'Connor coming to you as always, well, not always, but as for most of the time, from my little studio here in Stockholm. It's a little bit chilly under this desk. I would have thought now with the spring coming and the snow starting to melt and that kind of thing, it'd be a little bit warmer in here. And I have an old uh, electric radiator there, but it's just not doing it. Maybe I'm getting old. Maybe it's the circulation. Maybe I need to be rubbing a bit of putch in the feet. God knows. Uh, a fascinating conversation coming up for you on this week's podcast but before we do that just a little bit of housekeeping as always if you're following me on social media right you may have found this podcast through the instagram stories of the global gale account on instagram I have another account for the Irish and Sweden podcast, which you'll find on the same podcast feed as you found this one. And what I'm doing, lads, I've been talking to the magical Shane Monaghan over the last little while. He's a sort of a podcast consultant, social audio whiz kid, the founder of Limo, which is an absolutely brilliant social audio app. And you'll find me on there and I'm starting to use it more and more. It's kind of like Instagram for sound, right? Where you exchange voice notes and get involved in voice discussions. And it's the future of social audio, basically, is that we end up getting involved in these public discussions with one another. And it's just, it's a brilliant idea. And it enables me to share sort of short snippets with people that I've met rather than putting in a full podcast. Like, you know, if I bump into Johnny Sexton at a rugby match, well, then, you know, I can ask him and we can do a quick little thing and share that with you. So that's where you're going to find me there. But he was telling me to uh, consolidate the social media feeds because I have too many of them, right? And it's too difficult to keep up with them. And all the inboxes and where did I post that? And where did this person contact me? And all that's kind of crack. Like, you know, so uh, if you're following that, make sure to follow me. Uh, you'll find a post up on Instagram for the Global Gale podcast there it, tell, there it tells you where I am on social media that's at Philip Eblana on Instagram at Philip O'Connor on Twitter and then there's YouTube and there's a couple of other Facebook and LinkedIn as well you know so follow me there and you'll be able to keep up with all sorts of bits and pieces from the global Irish community and indeed the Irish community here in Sweden now if you've been above ground at all for the last little while you will know that it's award season in the film and television industry so it's the oscars and it's the baftas and it's this that and the other right all that's going on at the moment and irish film has been doing very very well indeed and i got a mail there during the week from somebody at the at a film festival here in stockholm what was the it's called the tempo documentary film festival here in stockholm and they said to me oh yes hello my name is olga i'm getting in touch with you about an irish film that's been shown at a film festival called north circular made by a lovely fella called luke mcmanus and you kind of chuckle to yourself because you know how we are as Irish people, sure, don't we? Every, we know this whole seed and breed of each other. Sure, I know Luke well. I know people are in the film, the interview, and that kind of thing. It's a brilliant, brilliant documentary film that I can't wait to see. But it got me thinking about uh, the Irish film industry in general, not just documentary film, but you will have heard of the Banshees of Inisherin, which was recently shown here in Stockholm, where I live, and which can be seen all over the world. It's been it's in California, New York, and Chicago, and Melbourne, and Sydney, and everywhere it's available for you to see. And uh, there's a film called On Colleen Kuhn, an Irish language film, which is doing great things as well. So... You know, all of a sudden, when all these things, you know, it's like London buses, when they all pass by at once, I sort of thought, Jesus, I have to have a little chat about these things and see what's going on, you know. So I got on to Luke to talk about his film, North Circular, because I'm from Dublin myself. 
uh, much to the annoyance of most Cork people. And it's an area of the city I know well. I spent a lot of time there as a young man, Daily Mount Park and, and around there, that kind of thing. And it's just, I was only back there recently collecting a pair of glasses when I was in Dublin uh, a little while ago, you know. But I wanted to talk to him, not just about making a documentary film about Dublin, but about Irish movies abroad and about the festival scene and about our opportunities as Irish people abroad to watch these films and support these films and enjoy these films and maybe even to talk in our own communities about them to get you know Swedish people or Australian people or American people or South American people or African people watching these movies so I gave him a call and it's one of those you know it just can't be better for him for film you have to have something in front of you but he was actually on his mobile phone walking through into town when I had a chat with him which is just the best way to talk to anybody about a film about Dublin so that is this week's episode it's my chat with Luke McManus about making films and how it was received he talks a lot about um recent festivals in Santa Barbara and the Irish films that were put on there and Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell and all those things but also the very nature of making films himself what it is that you know that leads him to have the ideas and how he goes about making them and that kind of thing and I always find that fascinating to find out sort of you know we call it how the sausage is made and that you know and especially for somebody who is such a well-known and well-respected and well-renowned person in the film industry to be able to share those things with us so here it is the conversation with Luke McManus about the Irish film business and how it is taking not just London but Hollywood and the whole world by storm boys and girls. Luke McManus, a film about a road or a street in Dublin, how does one get that idea and turn it into reality? Yeah, it's funny making films. I always find like you have a lot of ideas. Most of them are terrible. And terrible ones tend to disappear on you. And this one just wouldn't go away. Um, I've lived in the community for a long time. Uh, moved to Stony Valley in the late 90s. And up the Grange Gorman beside the North Circular around 2000. So I kind of... Uh, I've I, I, I noticed... Not so much the road itself as the things that connected together just struck me as having massive significance, cultural, historical, economic. You know, the likes of Croke Park, the Financial Services Centre, Grange Gorman, Daly Mount, Mount Joy, the Phoenix Park. Mm. And uh, I, there was a kind of school of writing out of London in the 90s. It was a, had a horrible title of psychogeography, but... The idea was you'd go to a place and that sort of journey through the place would take you yeah. into all sorts of interesting nooks and crannies. So there's a great book, uh, London Orbital, about the M25 in London. Yeah. Funny enough, at one stage I had an M50 project in Dublin. It might still happen. But uh, but then the North Circular kind of came into focus. Mm. You know what actually happened? <laughs> a film called North Circular Road came out. Uh, an Irish film, and I was like, bollocks, someone's after doing it. I was raging. That's taking the piss. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched it, and it had nothing to do with the North Circular Road at all. It was just a psychological thriller, you know. It was yeah. a completely... And I thought, you know what, I'd better do that second film because someone else was going to do it. Yeah. So, uh, But of course, then I didn't. And then COVID came along, and I was uh, stuck within 5K of the gaff where mm. I was sorry, I'll go again because of that beep. I was stuck within 5K of the gaff, and then... Um, at 2k at one stage of the gaff and I thought well if I don't get the finger out and do it now it's never going to happen you know so uh, how do you I'd go like about... to thank COVID-19 
for making this film possible. Well, it's, it, there are a few good things that came out of it, and this is certainly one of them. You know? Right. When you're telling those kinds of stories, Luke, because the first thing you learn in a writing course or in film school or that kind of thing is that all the best stories are about people, right? And yet this is so yeah. definitely about about that sort of arterial route you know, into the city and the communities that grew up around it. So did you then go, okay, I need to go and find the people around here who can best illustrate the story that I'm trying to tell, or how did it work for you? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think like in a world of Wikipedia, social media, uh, and the, a, me- a million different ways of getting information across and and telling stories, you know, where does documentary sit in that ecosystem? Hmm. And it is about people and about emotion, like and about personality and humanity. That is what film brings. You know what I mean? I think the days of the information film are, are long over because it's not a particularly efficient way of getting information across. So yes, you're always thinking about people. And like any landscape is animated by human presence, you know, cinematically. So what I didn't, you know, the idea was to hang around and just chat to folks and then sort of see who stayed with you, you know? So I had a little audio recorder and I went out and it's, it's interesting how a microphone attracts people, you know, and, and it kind of gives people a non-threatening way of engaging with a documentary maker. Mm. You know, they're not concerned about how they look. There isn't the whole pressure of a lens on them. And you can just record a conversation. And most of the conversations were pleasant, but somewhat a name. But every now and then you'd get a cracker, you know, mm. and, uh, and you'd use that to follow up, you know. So, so we had this idea that there'd be a number of chapters different teams, but that there'd be a character bringing you through those chapters. Uh, and, and that's kind of how the film worked out in the end, you know? It was, uh, we were very lucky in terms of who we found, you know? Mm. You don't always get that lucky. I don't know, it seems to me to be like, you know, they always said that Napoleon liked his generals to be lucky. And I think just being there yeah. with an audio <laughs> recorder and that kind of thing, that I've often found those things that like, you know, it's just wild the sort of people that will walk up to you in the street and you'll be doing a story about something and somebody will come along and go, I'm actually, not only am I exactly what you're looking for, I'm better than that, you know? Was there a particular oh, story? Oh, I know, totally. Was, was there a particular yeah, story totally. that sort of stood out to you or that sort of encapsulated that that whole idea for you? Well, I, you'd have to say uh, Sean O'Tuma, who's a tin whistle player uh, in Grange Gorman, who stands outside my local bar. I mean, basically, the shop I buy my bread and milk in had this fella, old lad, playing the tin whistle. And I thought, you know what, this chap's probably worth a chat. And Jesus, was he? You know, I mean, he was just an extraordinary person in terms of the layers that revealed themselves with every encounter I had with him. You know, I kind of, you know, he was obviously a character and obviously a very talented musician and obviously someone who, you know, had some hard times. You know, you can tell by it's written in his face, you know. Um, And then kind of journeying with him through his homelessness, his mental health crisis, his time in Grange Gorman in the hospital and and then into the, the deep trauma that he experienced, you know, He's, he's an amazing person and he kind of epitomizes a lot of the themes of the film, you know, in, in one person. And he's like, you know, he's full crack. <laughs> you know, I really, what I was really conscious of, I have a pet hate. There's a school of cinema set in working class communities that's deeply somber and kind of worthy and, uh, you know, humorless. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I just don't understand why how you can make a film in working class Dublin without putting jokes in it. Yeah. You know, I I mean, you know, if you spend a day in working class Dublin, you're gonna piss yourself at least six times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's a funny place, you know? Yeah. And there's a sort of a I think it's influenced by Maybe it's the Scandies are that fog. Maybe it's uh, oh, it's all the this film noir. The Bergman and the Polish. You know what I mean? Like yeah, exactly. the kind of art house thing where death where turns up in the movie and the jokes end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. But I just think uh, if you're trying to make something that people can engage with as well, hmm. having a few laughs to the guy to through the darkness is important. And and Sean just gave us everything that we needed in the film. Yeah. You know. Um, the reason that I'm talking to you is like you know this is one of those films that I was sort of looking for a way to watch this film outside of Ireland, and it turns out that it's been put on in a film festival in Stockholm. And the people contacted me and I was like, "Oh, deadly! I finally get to see it." When you're making a film like that, who are you making that film for? Is that the kind of film that's going to resonate with people from a working class community in America or in Australia or in South America or Asia? Is that in your mind when you're doing it, or have you like you know I'm telling this story to my father? to my cousin to you know a dead relative or how do you approach that in terms of thinking of who your potential audience is going to be yeah it's a very very important and interesting question the way this film was funded was by the arts council and mm. i gotta give them massive credit and thanks because this scheme that it was funded under is a documentary scheme called real art and it's the conditions are very simple don't make something televisual. Don't make something commercial. Make something that expresses your own creativity and, and gives you the license to experiment. Mm. So that is like a gift. You know, that is a gift of freedom that you rarely have as a filmmaker. Mm. Um, so in a way, I was indulging myself with this film. You know, I wasn't really thinking about audience. You know, there was no pressure to make something that was audience-focused or that would travel or that would be a commercial success. In fact, the opposite was the case. But what's interesting is when you stop thinking about that stuff, that's when you find it, you make something that does resonate, you know? And I think it's a lot to do with a certain level of integrity and authenticity and a personal investment in it, you know? And it kind of is all my obsession, you know, the relationship between England and Ireland, gentrification, what it means to be a sports fan, how music and culture interact. You know, uh, all of this stuff is stuff I keep, I've been thinking about all my life, you know. So uh, you hope it's going to resonate, but you don't expect it's going to resonate. But I'll tell you something, and this is very notionsy. You'll have to indulge me in my notions. It's very notionsy film. But um, as I was making the film, I was reading Unices with some friends, and we had a telegram group, you know, like the WhatsApp messaging equipment. Yeah. And it was two pages a day in Unity, which is a great way to do it, with a bit of group support and a very manageable chunk each day. Mm. And as I was reading it, I was like, this is so overwhelmingly about specific parts of Dublin with huge levels of detail that only makes sense if you live in Dublin. Mm. And this has seemed to resonate with people around the world. So, And then I did a bit more digging, and Joyce had a line where he said, in the particular, it contained the universal. Mm. And, uh, and that became a sort of key value for the film is like we're going into a rabbit hole here of uh, ultra local stuff and maybe it's just going to be of interest to local people mm. but in a weird way that became one of the selling points for people all around the world it's a stranger mm. I was talking to Tommy Tiernan about this a few years ago he came over to play and he did um 
he did a, a wholly improvised show here in Ireland and he was talking about uh, this thing of, you know, if he was to go to America, we were talking about the thing of, would you change your accent for American TV? And he was going, absolutely not, right? Because, you know, if you listen to a great blues musician from the Delta, you know, from the Mississippi Delta, and then all of a sudden he comes across with, you know, trying to sound like Luke Kelly, he said, that's not what it is, you know? And it is that... that no, totally. So you're trying to find that sense of, of a genuine universality because we mentioned working-class communities and they're absolutely not all the same, but they share many common traits. And in showing and discussing yeah, those traits, this way we recognize ourselves is that something that's sort of underdone in documentaries that people are either trying to make something that is really really 100% okay everybody's going to like this on Netflix or it's that case of I'm making this film for like 20 people at a festival that nobody's going to watch or how do you see it because you're active in the business making these films all the time yeah I mean like there's there's many ways of going at a doc you know I mean there's definitely you see documentaries that feel a bit like festival based you know, for want of a better word, mm. there's a particularly regrettable trend at the moment, in my view, where people are making films about films all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I know that appeals to film festival people because they're all movie obsessive, so nobody else gives a shit last. Mm. Uh, and then Netflix is a very interesting one. I mean, one of the things that's really amazed me about North Circular is, like, it's just done 12 weeks in the lighthouse. And it was selling out screens in the lighthouse, you know, last week. Does that surprise uh, you, Luke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the narrative is cinema's dead. Yeah. And the narrative is also that documentary cinema is doubly dead and that nobody is interested and they want to watch it on Netflix. But I think it actually is a very flawed uh, view of the landscape. For me, I see the tide turning back. And the simple reason is this. Netflix is Netflix products are made by an algorithm. Mm. They literally are made by lines of code. Like obviously their filmmakers making them are not lines of code. But the decisions about what the commission and how it should be shaped and how it should be structured are governed by an algorithm and they'll admit that themselves. Mm. And there comes a point and I'm not saying everything in Netflix is like that. I mean they just acquired Paul Glan's sublime film while you live shine. You know, they they bought that in and it's it's a wonderful piece of art that I would recommend to anyone and it has a big inspiration for my film. But the Netflix originals, they're sort of, they're products. Mm. And they're product designed to sell subscriptions. Yeah. And I think people are starting to get a bit fed up with them. They're mm. starting to understand that they lack nourishment, that they're sort of, there's something, Netflix is the king of the seven out of ten for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and <laughs> acceptable you know, mediocrity. Like it's, it's <laughs> you know. Totally, like you know, and 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 this idea that like film is a product that is independent of the platform or its context of consumption, I think, is nonsense. Mm. It's absolutely nonsense. I mean, if you see my film on a screener link, which you have, mm. that is a fundamentally different and extremely inferior experience of seeing it in a full cinema. Yeah. Uh, and particularly a full cinema of people from the community that it's about. Mm. That's an extraordinary experience, you know? Mm. And, uh, and, and I think that that feeling of being in a room with a load of people going on a journey uh, sounds a bit hackneyed, but it's really palpable and visceral in the film. Jokes, you laugh together. The mo there's two moments where complete silence mm. drops over the cinema like a blanket, you know, uh, 
and, and that for me is always a spine tingling thing. I mean, I've seen the film 20 times in the cinema now. Mm. And what I find is I listen, I'm listening to the audience yeah. and how they're responding. And that is really special. And it's like the difference between live sports. It's a difference. Basically, my film is, is the League of Ireland and Netflix is the premiership. Mm. That's the way I look at it. And the League of Ireland's having a huge resurgence because it's authentic and you're there watching it in real life. And that's basically what we feel we're offering, you know, compared to the streamers. Sorry, for, I'm going to get off my fucking platform here. No, no, no. Apologies. No, but this is the thing, because like, we kind of have to talk about these things, because otherwise you just end up consuming things without thinking. And we've all done it, right? When I got into Stranger Things about 15 years after everybody else, yeah. and I was sitting there going, yeah, feed, feed yeah. the beast, you know, and good and entertaining, and I could see, oh, you know, yeah. what they were trying to do and that kind of thing. But if we don't, if we just watch, um, people are talking about this, uh, there's some golf documentary, some eight-part thing going on now that I think the second captains are talking about today. And there's also, at the same yeah. time, there's a documentary about a basketball player called Bill Russell, who I hold not just to be the greatest yeah. basketball player of all time, but one of the greatest Americans of all time. And I'm standing there going, watch okay. this instead, <laughs> you know? So we have to yeah, have yeah, those yeah, yeah, conversations, you know? But how much no, do you... No, no, big time. Yeah, how much do you think, when we lost sort of everything, all social contact, meeting people, touching people, yeah. holding people during yeah. the pandemic, how much of yeah. the, so the resurgence now of films like North Circular and watching it together the League of Ireland and watching it together in a little stadium like Daly Mount Park how much of that yeah. do you think has been sort of you know pushed forward by the fact that we have a sort of you know two years of our lives where we weren't allowed to do things like that or weren't able to do things like that I know I think it's huge I think it's huge I think it's like like I think to be honest I have a very good lockdown I made me fun and I spent the rest of the time playing football with a six year old in the sun you know what I mean like mm. it was great yeah. Like, but a lot of people had a horrendous time, yeah. and uh, I was glibly thanking the COVID nineteen virus there. But obviously, it was it was a deeply, uh, pr you know, traumatic experience for a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's any question but that the appetite for human contact was amplified and sort of uh, made more intense by by its absence. I mean, it's it's it stands to reason, doesn't it? Yeah. You know that a uh, you prefer that glass of water on a sweltering hot day, you know, it's, uh, mm. it's the same thing. And, and what was interesting is when I was making this film, I had those eight chapters with eight different themes and eight different stories. And, and it felt while I was making it, that it was a very disparate and unfocused mm. kind of narrative about the street. And that was fine. But when I actually watched it back, I realized it was all about, in fact, someone pointed this out to me and said, your film's about community league. I don't really like the word community. I kind of something about it that, I don't know, it's just, uh, I think it's overused. <laughs> In the context of Northern Ireland, it's always used as a, a fucking, a sort of a, a replacement for my sectarian yeah, sort of yeah. side of the argument. You know, my community. Yeah, one, one size fits all. Nobody gets to differ from my opinions kind of thing. Totally like, but exactly. Well, I, I was doing a bit of reading around this, and you might have heard me say this before because I've become a bit obsessed, but I, I, I stumbled across the word communion. Mm. And I'd never really understood what communion was. Hmm. And obviously, uh, you know, in Ireland, you're brought up with an idea of it as a religious thing. Hmm. Um, but I looked up its definition, and the definition of communion is a group of people thinking the same thought or experiencing the same emotion at the same time. Hmm. And that's what I realized was in my film. Hmm. You know, a crowd in Daily Mount, an audience at a gig, uh, a bunch of friends gathering, to listen to other people sing, mm. a street protest, uh, even two people high on heroin dancing with some 
Roma Gypsy drummers, they're all experiencing communion. Mm. Uh, that is the link that linked all these experiences together. Mm. And what was interesting then was going to a cinema, to go back to my previous point, mm. is also an act of communion. You're with other people thinking the same thought and feeling the same thing at the same time. Yeah. And it's that communion that is what is vital about cinema as an experience mm. and that you don't get that shit on Netflix, yeah. you know, ultimately. That's you know, and I think that to me is something religion formed for a reason. You know, mass was a thing for a reason. Mm. And part of it was being all together, thinking the same thought yeah. and feeling the same feeling. And, uh, and that's something that's very fundamental to humanity, you know? So, yeah. and that's something that COVID made very hard to, you know, it, it didn't happen, mm. you know? So I think that's what people were after. Yeah, it seems you to know, be cropping up uh, again. I was I was going back over for some. I was looking for something on Instagram the other day, an old picture, and I came across a picture of myself and and my eldest daughter, who's mad into film and TV and stuff like that as well. But it was when the the first of the last trio of Star Wars films came out, which I had what seen in right. the Bastard Cinema in Dublin, you know, as a kid, and was absolutely obsessed right, by yeah, them. Yeah, and, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, likewise. Yeah, yeah it was fantastic. Yeah. And then I'm sitting there with her, like you know, generations later, and the, the whole thing is starting again. And she watched those prequels. I hated them. She thought they were brilliant. I had to stop saying negative things yeah. about them because he didn't want but and that sense of no exactly that but, but that being there with her in that moment and watching something that both of us had a connection to in different ways was exactly what you're saying there and the, what like i i gotta be straight with you i got the link to that film i haven't watched your film yet because i want to see it with other people <laughs> right no i want to see it with her or i want to see it in Dublin, or i want to see it with the, the community here in sweden because i want to experience those things with them i don't want to see it for the first time because because you know I'm a Bowes fan. You know that, like, you know, I've been down around that area, yeah, around the yeah. Joy, around St. Peter's. I played a gig down behind uh, the, the Scout Hall yeah. down there many years ago myself. Yeah. So this is a place that means something to me. But I wonder if it'll mean, you know, I'd love to, like, when you hang up now, I may just watch it just because I'm so interested in it, you know. But that's the kind of thing that's sort of lacking, you know. If we zoom out just a little bit, terrible film pun there, but if we zoom out a little bit, there seems to be a little bit of a sort of resurgence around the likes of Banshee's Vinishir and uh, on Colleen Kuhn, this kind of thing how is the irish film industry and the irish documentary film industry and the drama film industry post-covid is it somewhere that's thriving are we making things just for the netflix algorithm or is there actually some sense of art and of creativity and of story there that maybe we, we didn't have for a while yeah you know it's a it's an interesting question i mean the thing about any industry is people want to work mm. so if netflix are bringing in some fairy tale thing and they're employing a thousand people, then bring it on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like part of the whole, part of the whole way the industry works is you need people to keep working and keep their skills sharp and to get their experience level up. Mm. So, some, I mean, I, you know, I take on the odd job that is a load of bollocks, mm. and I'm like, it's fine. It's going to stand to me in some way. It's going to pay my mortgage, and I'm going to learn something from it. You mm. always learn something from every job, even if it's not the one that your heart is bursting to make. You know mm. what I mean? So. The industry is, seems to be a good nick. Mm. Like, people are busy. Um, certainly, a lot of the people I come up with are flying, you know, and doing really well. And, uh, and like, I think we're good on it. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a hackneyed cliche. Mm. I think the, the, sort of, the narrative understanding, the natural grasp of narrative and the sort of default level of sociability in Irish people makes me, you know filmmakers by disposition you know what I mean and what's mm. interesting I think is the level of visual culture 
compared to when we were growing up was yeah. the sophistication of younger people visually is extraordinary. And a lot of that's to do with Instagram and the globalization of culture and all that kind of stuff, you know? Mm. What's interesting about Colleen Kuhn for me is, in a way, it was made very similarly to my film. In fact, it's the same editor, John Murphy, who uh, you may have come across as brother Kieran, who's one of the second capital labs. Yes, yeah. Um, so John's his brother, but, uh, you know, he cut both my film and Cullum's film, and Cullum would be an old mate of mine. You know, a friend of mine from the business for a long time. Mm. You know, he made that film on his own terms. There was no co-producers. There was no shopping it around, trying to get a bit of money from Luxembourg and a bit of money from Sweden. And, and that process of trying to raise money can really cause creative issues in a project mm. where it gets very compromised. And you get this kind of what they used to call Euro puddings, you know, yeah. um, where there's a bit for this and a bit for them. I mean, Colin made a film on his, absolutely in his own terms. You know, that he conceived, wrote, directed. His wife produced it. You know, he, he got all his closest collaborators on board to, to make it happen. And, and he's produced a classic. I mean, that's what it is. Mm. It's like, it's already a classic and it's still in the cinema. Mm. You know, um, and what's interesting is if you place a bit of creative trust in someone who has a vision and thoughtful, you're going to get stuff like that, mm. you know? So, Banshees is a whole other argument. <laughs> 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 and we could be here for days <laughs> yeah and I mean it's interesting how I mean I've just come back from America they love it yeah. they absolutely love it and like I went to see Banshees in the lighthouse and it was very 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 busy mm. and like cinemas were not busy before that yeah you know I got you know I think it got people back into the cinema right. and like declaring an interest they screened the trailer for my film before it mm. and uh, it was the first time I'd seen uh, the trailer on the big screen, you know, and I was sitting there going, oh, they said they were going to play this freaking trailer and they haven't. And then they played it last. It was the last one before the feature. Mm. You know, it's obviously the prime spot. And I was sitting there going, kind of trad music, vaguely horrific, kind of history fixated, slightly arty film. This is my crowd, you know what I mean? Like, it was tonally perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I could feel people, like, engaging with my trailer and I was like, Thank you, Banshee. You lots of reservations. <laughs> Any reservations you may have just disappeared in, the, in that moment. Well, this is it. Like, I mean, my mate Mark O'Connell wrote, uh, what I think they call a takedown mm. of us, and it's kind of hard to argue. I mean, my take on McDonough is he's a, he's kind of a sub-Tarantino entertainer, mm. you know, who, who shocks and amuses you, and he dresses it up with a patina of pseudo art so that the uh, mm. the awards people go mad for us you know what I mean and he's a great man for getting good actors you know Yeah. so like you know but he's no artist and I'd say he probably admitted himself if he mm. was honest you know what I mean yeah. um, well it's kind of like if you go back you know, to but it's Hollywood it's fucking Hollywood but this you know, is I mean, like you know it's since when was art a thing you know what I mean yeah but if you go back to Tin Pan Alley and the songwriters even Lou Reed was doing it at one point you know sitting there banging out you know soul tunes and that kind of thing of and, and there's a sort of a market for that as well. But as you mentioned earlier, Ron, I think you mentioned, you know, there's no calories in certain things on Netflix. But then that sort of, you know, if it does sort of widen the playing field a little bit so that a film like your film, North Circular, gets in there, you know, is it a case, would you reckon, that the rising tide sort of lifts all boats? Or do they have, you know, do they hoover up the limelight? No, definitely. Definitely. And to be fair to those lads, I mean, I spent most of my time in America trying to meet up with them and failed, you know what I mean? Because they're, <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> for, uh, 
for various reasons, but I know they are very supportive. I mean, I think Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson have kind of had meetings with Colin Barrett, you know, about Quiet Girl, about how they can help. And, yeah. you know, like, there's absolutely a sense that, you know, there's a national pride and mm. you get a bit of momentum. Look, you know yourself, the scandal. Denmark was the hottest shit in film and TV five years ago. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like things, things flow. You know what I mean? Like, like, you get these moments where you're, you know, there was the Jim Sheridan, Neil Jordan wave, and now there's another little wave. And, yeah. you know, it's, 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 a, it's a faddish business as well. Do you know what I mean? But I think what's interesting is, from a scale point of view, you know, a film like Quiet Girl that is so tiny and so inexpensive mm. and so so quiet and so undemonstrative. I don't know if you've seen it, but, you know, I mean, Colin sent me a script before he shot it and I was reading it going, I don't really get this. Yeah. Nothing happens, mm. you, know? <laughs> you know? But then you see it and, like, that's the beauty of it is that nothing happens, you know? That's why it works, you yeah. know? And you just executed it so brilliantly. But yeah. the fact, I mean, I've just come back to Santa Barbara they turned away hundreds from the screeners in Santa Barbara Film Festival for Quiet Girl. You know, I mean, I did, I did respectively with North Circular. You know, I did. I was very happy with the numbers I got, but they had like people queuing down the street to get in. You know, like it, it's for an Irish language film. It's wild. Like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's wild. It's the worst. I mean, I was at the opening night, and I, uh, I was chatting to Catherine Clinton's mother, mm. who'd be kind of my age, and I was just thinking about her life. I mean. You know, someone asked you, do you mind if your daughter's in a little Irish language? You'd probably be going, I should have to be a good crack. That'll keep her busy in the summer. Mm. You don't think she's going to be on the Oscars or on the side of buses, do you? <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's not what she signed up for. It must be a bit of a mind melter, you know? A TG can uh, at, at its height, you know? <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? Like, this is the thing. But I, I, I think the other thing about it is, I haven't heard a single bit of backbiting or begrudgery about that film. Yeah about those people like they're really genuine thoughtful people yeah and people are delighted for them you yeah. know what i mean so and you know it's just a really special thing i i'm i'm thrilled for them you know what i mean absolutely thrilled for them it's great who was going to see your film and and colin kuhn in santa barbara california because like you know was it a sort of an expat you know big green hats with buckles on them and you know kiss me i'm irish t-shirts or was it you know people who appreciate film and art and that kind of thing was it you know the, the mega producers rolling up in their ferraris and their suvs or who goes to who certainly the it certainly wasn't that no i mean santa barbara they have their own audience basically mm. and it's a bit of a retirement community. It's a bit of an older crowd. There was a mixture, though. There was some younger people as well. Kind of art house film fans and then people who, like, are of Irish extraction. They're not expats. They're people who came back to Dublin, you know, came back to Ireland on their halls. And, you know, they like Irish music. Or, but they're just, like, you know, they're just rocking along to see what it's like, you know? I mean, it was, it was interesting to see what the audience was. I don't know what sort of audience would be in Sweden. There might be nobody else. You know, you don't know how good festivals are at mobilizing crowds. You know, like some festivals are brilliant and some festivals aren't. Yeah. And it is an uphill battle for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, what's really interesting is who's the audience in Dublin. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I've got into this habit of showing up at screenings at the end just to thank people for coming. Yeah. Not doing a Q&A, but just to kind of acknowledge them. Mm. You know, part of my marketing strategy, yeah. dread word. But I've kind of noticed there's an audience, there's a specific audience for the film, you know? And there's like young foreigners, mm. which is interesting. 
young immigrants, yeah. you know, Latin Americans. A lot of them live in that area. Yeah. So they're kind of coming in to see what the story is with us. Um, so uh, then you have a young man in his early 30s with a wispy beard and his girlfriend has got a woolly hat and a big coat on. Yeah. And, you know, they're kind of Sony Valentine's. Yeah, exactly. Maybe he's got a documentary project of his own. You know what I mean? Like, so, Luke, how do you get funding for this kind of thing? There's <laughs> a little bit of that. And then you get, like, an older couple or, like, a couple of older ladies from Cabra or Summerhill or Finsborough, and they just want to see what the crack is. Mm. And they're, like, in a way, they're my favourite audience. You know what I mean? Because... You know, you'd be worried that they wouldn't be into it. It's quite a dark film when you see it. Like, you know, it is, it doesn't shy away from some grim, grim stuff, you know? Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of people that have been given out on the internet that it's portrayed the community in a grim light. But for me, it's an optimistic film, ultimately. And, you know, if you go into the tunnel, there's a bit of light at the end of it. It's also wrong, you know, if, if you're going to tell the story of a community like that, it's also wrong not to do that, you know, instead of, oh, you know, look at these happy working class people, you know, content with their lot, you know, fuck off, I've seen too many of them, like, you know. Well, I mean, the, 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 there's two ways of going at it that are wrong. One is this overly sanitized mm. uh, look, and the other is wallowing in the misery. Yeah. Like what I was talking about, in a kind of humorless, yeah. Kislovsky sort of style, and like, don't get me wrong, I love Kislovsky, but like, you know, it's there's a sort of a pompous somberness that you get in these films sometimes. And I was a bit worried to start my films quite pompous uh, for the first 10 minutes or so. And you can kind of feel the audience uh, getting a little bit uncomfortable. And then about 11 minutes in, there's a gag. Now, it's not, you know, it's not Oscar Wilde, but it's a, it's a gag, you know. And uh, and, and that, that laughter after 10 minutes is my, probably my favourite sound when I'm watching the film with people because... The sound of people laughing together at something you've made is amazing. Yeah. But, but it's kind of a it's kind of a relieved laugh. Yeah. They're like, oh, thank God, there's, there's going to be a few fucking jokes in this film. Yeah, <laughs> shit, I thought it was going to be two hours of this <laughs> fucking stuff. Like. <laughs> well, no, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. And like, there was a, this relief, and and also when you give permission to people to laugh, and mm. they laugh again. Yeah. You know, you have to unlock that in people, mm. and uh, you know, so. So that's an important, yeah, like getting the balance right. Yeah. Not sanitizing, but, but not wallowing in misery. Mm. That was, and to be fair, I have to give John Murphy, the editor, uh, more props because he's an unbelievable judgment, mm. you know, and an amazing ability to kind of make the thing cohere. And, mm. you know, he was on the gig. He was on the gig since before I wrote the proposal. Mm. You know, I was chatting to him yesterday about how it's going. Like, he's just been hugely committed to it. Mm. And it hasn't exactly been a big earner for him. So, oh. you know, i got to say thank you to the guy. You know, he's you, every film gets made with somebody, ultimately. Yeah. And, like, he's been the main guy for me, you know? Well, it's an incredible so, skill uh, as well. Editing has so much to do with, with timing and that's, you know, just that feeling of, of the right thing in the right place at the right time, you know? Oh, no, totally. It's like, I would say you're a quarter an engineer, a quarter an artist, a quarter musician, 
and a quarter of psychotherapist. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, you know, it's a rare blend. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a, a, shame, a shame they're not paid more. Listen, Luke, I'm after taking up enough of your time as it is, but I just want to ask you, where can Irish people around the world see this film? Right. Because, you know, you've now this Netflix, so those fuckers aren't going to pay you for it. Right. <laughs> is it going to be at, at festivals? Will you give it to a screening or sorry, a streaming service uh, when you're done? Or what's, what's the plan for North Circular so that as many people around the world as possible can see it? Right, well, I suppose the first thing to say is we do have a pretty good festival run, and if you go to northcircularfilm.com or northcircular.ie, you'll find a link to a Google spreadsheet where we're updating the screenings as we go. So, yeah, we have, like, we have like uh, Sweden, uh, Stockholm, as you know, Copenhagen, uh, Washington, D.C., Boston, um, West Virginia, Zagreb, Belgrade. Uh, there's a bunch of festival screenings. There's a U.K. tour in the offing coming to London Kiln at the end of March then we're going to do a little set of one-offs across the north of England and Scotland um, and you know I'm looking at trying to do a week in New York a week in Paris I mean like we'll see you know it's uh, I'm trying to milk the theatrical cinema life of this film mm. and preserve that for as long as I can because it, it, it genuinely I know everyone says this but I think this is genuinely and there's so much music in the film I didn't even talk about the music you know the the Music almost never sounds better than it does in the cinema, you know? So, and I think that's one of the people, I've met someone who's seen the film three times in the cinema. And I think that's one of the reasons. It's kind of like putting an album back on that you you like more and more every time you hear it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, I'm not ruling out uh, broadcast or streaming or whatever, you know, once we get to that stage, but that's probably, you're probably looking at the autumn. Yeah, you know. So the idea is to maximise its cinema life. But to get along to North Circle and follow the links and You'll, you'll find out if it's coming to a town near you and hopefully it is brilliant well the very best of luck with it and if we can do anything to keep pushing it as I say I'll be putting this out for the 70 odd million Irish around the world now and hoping as many of them as possible I said. and if you do happen to make another film you know Inchicore is a lovely spot you know you, see, you might consider making one about them and if you do do that feel free to come back on the Global Gale podcast and tell us all about it but for now Luke thanks very much for joining me Cheers, it was a pleasure. By the sweet bay of Dublin, while carelessly strolling, I sat myself down by the green myrtle shade, reclined on the beach while the wild waves were rolling. In sorrow, Condoli, I heard a fair maid. There you go, finishing up with a little snippet from the trailer for North Circular, made by the great Luke McManus, who you heard from there. And I really enjoyed having that, uh, that chat with Luke. Fascinating, that relationship back to Ulysses. It's funny, lads. I've been... Um, that book has been following me around the last while and I'm trying to read it at the moment and I found it very interesting what he said there about reading it two pages at a time and realising how it's, it is all about Dublin. It's basically a love song to Dublin, the whole book, you know, and even if you know that sort of, you know, on an intellectual level or whatever, you don't really feel it until somebody says it the way he did there. So I go back to it a bit. It's a book I've been trying to read all my life and I do enjoy it and I find it heavy going uh, and it's amazing since starting these podcasts for the Irish Abroad, it's a book that, you know, it's featured on several podcasts now so it's obviously something that is uh, that is in us and of great importance to us so they're the three films the banshees of inishirin is one on colleen kuhn also known as the quiet girl and of course north circular 
Uh, so if you have a chance to check any of them out or if you see them coming to a film festival near you, let people know about them, right? I always say that, you know, like, don't hide your talent under the bushel, as it says in the Bible, right? And don't do that for anybody else either. So if you happen to see something, even if it's not your kind of thing, even if you are from Cork and you hate films about Dublin, at least let other people know because it really helps people like Luke to make new work, to make new films about other places and other stories and other things if this film is successful. People will look back at that and they go, yeah, he sold X amount of tickets or, you know, got this amount of traction on social media and this kind of thing. Uh, so it's always very, very helpful to artists and to filmmakers like Luke that we go and see them, that we go and support them and that we bring other people with us so that you bring our community in, you know, in, in Nevada or in, in New York or in New Jersey with you to go and see these things. Uh, because like all Irish music and literature, and it's all sort of word of mouth, and we are, of course, the ambassadors. We are the real Irish ambassadors, lads. We don't live in the fancy residences and we don't work at the embassy. But we are the people who are sort of tasked with bringing Irish culture and Irish food and Irish business and Irish history to people abroad. And I think for the most part, we do it very, very proudly indeed, not least because of the great work that people like Luke do and that our musicians and our writers and our producers and our companies do as well. That is it for this week. Um, Again, if we, we talked a little bit earlier on about how the sausage is made, the last couple of weeks for the Global Gale have been a bit mad because there's a load of people that are sort of, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the holding pattern over an airport when you're flying back to Dublin, right? And there's a holding pattern and all the planes are basically circling and they're going, oh, you know, whose turn is it to land next? That's what the interviews for this programme have been like over the last while, right? So there's a whole bunch of fascinating people that I've been talking to and we just haven't been able to manage to get everything boxed off and straightened out and get the recordings done and things changed both in my own life and in their lives and that kind of thing and of course the time difference between here in Australia and between here in Las Vegas is huge as well you know so next week uh, there's, as I say I, I don't even want to say who it's going to be yet because these could change again but there are loads of fascinating conversations coming up so if you have the chance go to patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm and support this show so that I can keep bringing it to you every week right uh, there you'll find the in Sweden podcast, the Airman in Stockholm podcast, the Premier Swedes podcast, and God only knows, a good eight or ten podcasts at least every month that come out there. <coughs> that are both of interest to two Irish communities around the globe, but also about media and journalism and politics and sports and all other sorts of stuff that tends to crop up there as well. Uh, it's a five a month, but all the podcasts are always free, right? They'll always be on SoundCloud and they'll always be on Spotify. Don't put up paywalls. And I could, and people keep telling me, oh, you know, you should only put up a little bit of the conversation. And then if people want to hear the rest of it, we'll let them pay for it. No, right? Money should never be an object to being able to consume the content, as the young people say. I put it out there for free because I was once poor myself. I once didn't have two shillings to rub together after I moved here. And when I was 19 and living down in Greece, I definitely didn't have two shillings to rub together over the first two or three weeks of looking for a job. So I remember what that was like there. So I refuse to do that. But if you can support me, if you can afford a five a month, which is less than a cup of coffee in, in Scandinavia and certain places in America at the moment, it'd be brilliant to have it. And the more people that get involved, well, the more of these things that I can do. And you know what? If you can't, that's grand. But do me the favor, right? If you listen to this conversation or any other conversation in the archive, right, share it. Tell people about the podcast. Share the story on Instagram or a post on Instagram and say, look, I've listened to this fella's podcast in the part in the past. I've enjoyed them. I get something out of them every week. Maybe you might listen and subscribe and leave a good review as well because it's true word of mouth and it takes a long time, lads, or any podcast to build it up, you know, or any radio show or any art or that kind of thing to get it out around the place. And I'm dependent on you because you can feed social media and you can take out ads and everything else like that, but there's nothing. The most effective thing in the world is if you were to share 
share it. You know, if you're working in a school in Abu Dhabi and you say, oh, look, at this lad has a podcast called The Global Gale. I had to listen. You might give it a listen yourself, you know. And that's 10 times more effective than me putting my ugly mug up on Instagram and begging everybody to listen. So if you could do that for me, I would be hugely appreciative. And if you don't, what can I do about it? I'll just have to put out another podcast next week and we'll keep going until you do do it. We're getting in on St. Patrick's Day soon enough, more of which anon, but I'll let you go for this week. I hope you're having a great time wherever you have, are in the world. I hope you're looking forward to St. Patrick's Day and you'll be able to be with a few people that you love and have a bit of crack and that kind of thing. But I'll be back again next week with another episode of The Global Gale. Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Watch a good Irish film if you can. And I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>